Hi, I'm Mark Scott, Secretary of the New South Wales Department of Education, and welcome to Every Student, the podcast where I get to introduce you to some of our great leaders in education. Today I'm in conversation with Cameron Patterson. Cameron is the Head of Teaching and Learning at the Shore School on Sydney's Lower North Shore. He's a course instructor for Harvard's Project Zero, and he's the co-editor of a book that's come out called Flip the System Australia, What Matters in Education. And uh, on the back of the book, it says what matters or what should matter in education. And they're the matters that we're going to discuss with you today, Cameron. Uh, Tell us how you ended up in education. Thank you for the invitation to be here, Mark. Uh, I fell into teaching by accident. I was midway through a master's degree in history at Sydney University and working in a pub in Sydney at the time. And a, a job advertisement appeared in the Sydney Morning Herald for a one year contract. Uh, somebody was on leave at, at Canberra Grammar School. So I accepted that. And without no teacher training whatsoever, many, many years ago, I was appointed as a history teacher in Canberra. Uh, it was only meant to be a, a one year break for me before returning to Sydney uh, to carry on with my postgraduate work. Uh, but I absolutely loved it, surprisingly loved it. My intent had always been to be either a diplomat or a journalist. And I had this vague notion that somehow moving to Canberra would make that easier for me. Um, but I fell into teaching by accident and I absolutely love it. I think I've got the best job in the world. So let's go to the book, Flip the System. You've, you've produced the book, Flip the System Australia. But uh, before the Australian book, um, people have been exploring this idea before you. That's right. Uh, the first Flip the System book came out in the Netherlands in 2015. Uh, it was produced by a couple of Dutch educators. Uh, Yelma Evers was my connection. I've met him a couple of times at uh, overseas conferences. Uh, he was a teacher basically just that decided to put his money where his mouth is in the sense that he was having some of these discussions with his students and he's constantly encouraging his students to go out and make a difference in the world and he thought, well, I should be actually modelling by example. So he produced the first Flip the System book and that was followed last year by Flip the System UK. Uh, there's a, the three of us that produced the Australian book actually have a chapter in the, the UK version. There is a Swedish version, which is in Swedish, so I haven't read it. Uh, so we were the, the third or fourth, I guess, volume, Flip the System Australia. And the fifth volume, Flip the System US, is currently in production. It's actually being designed to be released around the time of the next US election in the hopes that it will influence discussion around education policy going forwards in the US. So if you look at this book, there are some well-known international names reflecting on the Australian experience, names like Andy Hargraves and Parsi Salberg. Uh, Yesterday, Salva Kamaran, well known to listeners of this uh, podcast, is there as well. Um, what does it mean to flip the system? What, what does that um, phrase mean? Well, Yelma came up with the idea and he talks about uh, the triangular pyramid, a, a model of the system. I often equate it as a history teacher to the feudal pyramid that we used to teach in year seven or year, year eight used to talk about. Um, but his system is a a triangle with politicians and bureaucrats at the top and all the way down the bottom are the teachers which he describes as the grunt workers in the system and his idea was to initiate conversations about how potentially that framework could be flipped so putting teachers more in the driver's seat and reducing the power and influence at times of politicians those directly outside the classroom Uh, that was his aim i often say that there are perhaps three keys around the flip the system theme Uh, And that is the first would possibly be the idea of agency. How do we improve teacher agency? By that, I mean, how do we enable teachers to take more control of the decisions that influence them every day? I also use the word professionalism. 
It's easy to see how medicine or dentistry is regarded as a profession. We talk about the legal profession, but then we get confused about the professionalism of teachers. Uh, to what extent are we a profession? I know Richard Elmore, a professor from the US, has described teachers as a profession without a practice. Uh, so the influence of research in that becomes really interesting. And finally, the, another key word is, is democratic or democracy. To what extent do we regard what happens in the classroom as democratic? And to what extent can we enable it to become more democratic? Let's go back to Elmore. What does he mean by a profession without a practice? Um, my take on that is that if you can go into any particular classroom, he often says that there's more variance in the teaching and learning that occurs within a school than between schools. Uh, and you go into any particular uh, series of classrooms in schools, you're going to see a great variety in teaching practice. Uh, he would argue that we are confused about uh, what practice actually is. And it's almost as though anything goes. Every teacher, because they're so closely personally connected to their professional practice, uh, is able to justify what they're doing on a particular day in a particular subject with a particular age range. And he says that despite our best efforts around the, the, the world in terms of creating standards and so forth, that we're still confused and can't agree exactly what our best practice is. So, so just reconcile that thought to me, because hearing that, and as a, as a bureaucrat, you know, part of the, the pyramid, I suppose an argument for me would be systems um, should be clearer in the expectations for teachers, clearer in articulating what pedagogy works what evidence suggests will bring about an improvement in teaching and learning outcomes. Um, and that the kind of scene that Elmore is describing is, um, calls for, in a sense, more rigidity in the system rather than less rigidity in the system. Well, the argument flip the system is that you use the word expectations and accountabilities is one that we use a fair bit. Uh, teachers have an enormous growing number of accountabilities placed upon us all the time. And our, what we are advocating for is more locally produced solutions, more collaboratively produced solutions with teachers involved in the conversations about those expectations and accountabilities rather than those outside the classroom and outside the school deciding them on our behalf. Yeah, and, and, and why isn't this the case now? You draw a parallel to other professions. What is it about teaching that has seen teachers perhaps disempowered with the picture that you're creating? It's an interesting one. There's certainly a, a plenty of evidence of teacher voice being absent in policy and absent in the media. If you think about a conversation that you might turn on to uh, the project in the evening when you turn on your, your, your news, and there's a conversation occurring about education, sometimes very specifically about schools or classroom issues, uh, but very, very rarely will you see an educator involved in those conversations. It's usually people talking about schools rather than people in schools talking about what's going on. It's people talking about teachers. Um, what's led to that? I, I think there's pretty clearly around the world been a steadily eroding decline uh, in respect for teachers on a worldwide basis. Um, there'd be all sorts of issues that are leading to that. But part of what we're trying to do with this, we talk about it being a book, but really we're talking about a global movement. We're trying to emphasise the importance of shining a light on these issues and restoring conversations about respect. Uh, it would be wonderful as in one of the chapters, it's Bob Lingard uh, in his chapter, who refers to the fact that AITSL, the Australian Institute of Teaching and School Leadership in Melbourne, currently has no practicing 
classroom teacher on their board. Uh, unions have been arguing against this for years, but I find that extraordinary that in Australia we have allowed ourselves to get to that situation where we have an Australian Institute of Teaching and School Leadership and yet there is no teacher on the board. I think that's ridiculous. And, and um, of course, one of the things about uh, the uh, you know, education more broadly is because everyone went to school, everyone's an expert on education, everyone has this uh, so many people have a current ongoing encounter with education uh, through their own experience or the experience of their children. Um, it means that, in a sense, everyone's an expert in the field, I guess. I would agree with that. Uh, everybody has an opinion and everybody's entitled to have an opinion. Uh, but that's where we come back to the professionalism of teachers. Uh, we need to restore that, uh, that degree of expectation around the professionalism of people in the classroom and in schools in terms of professional judgment. Uh, people have expertise in the classroom, an enormous amount of expertise. And one of the issues is that it's so complex that being able to capture that in a snapshot which suits uh, a media grab is extremely difficult. Uh, Do you just ex talk a bit more about that complexity. I mean, I think if you draw a contrast to medicine, and, and, and that's, it's often done, um, I think most people almost will acknowledge, even though they might go on Google to get some information themselves, that uh, medicine is highly scientific, highly research-based. There's a great level of skill and expertise and that the lay person does not expect that they have the level of expertise and insight that a medical um, expert would have or a scientist would have. Um, education, the perception would be that this is a simpler process, but you're arguing the complexity of the teaching and learning experience is not adequately respected. I'm not just talking about content knowledge when we talk about high school teachers. I'm talking about the tacit knowledge of teachers. That teacher's experience when he or she knows at a particular moment in period five with year nine after lunch, that if you go and stand in a particular place in the classroom, you're going to enable to, uh, your, some of your students to be more engaged than they otherwise would. It's very difficult for teachers to be able to articulate that and be explicit about that. Uh, but in terms of momentary decisions that teachers make in very complicated situations with often 25 people in the classroom at a time, and if you're a high school teacher, it could be up to perhaps 150 students over the course of the week, knowing those personalities, knowing how they learn best, knowing how to get the best out of them and work with that variety uh, is not a simple process. So what would um, good practice look like if the system is flipped and, um, in a sense, the professionalism and the expertise of teachers is more acknowledged and the conversations around educational complexities uh, are, in a sense, more, reflect, more um, respectful of the expertise of the classroom. So what's it going to look like? How's it going to be different? That's a good question. I don't know I have a direct answer to that question. Uh, one of my, I mean, we're very proud of the book and we're proud of the reception of the book. But one of the things that I wish we perhaps uh, had been able to address a little bit more clearly is what that might actually look like in classrooms. We do regret, we had lots of conversations about it, but we do regret that there's no student voice in the book. Um, we had some discussions and politically in the end, we decided that was just too difficult. Um, but we also had a fair number of teachers who declined our invitation to contribute to the book. And the reasons for that were very interesting. The reasons were sometimes because they were too busy and you could expect that from teachers. Uh, sometimes it was because they felt that they didn't have something that was worthwhile saying in a broader sphere. Uh, and sometimes more worryingly, it was concern that they would get in trouble for speaking out. 
get in trouble from people in charge of them in their system, their principal, whoever else, and so they were hesitant to speak. So when we come back to the idea of what best practice might look like, uh, I think it's absolutely crucial to have teachers involved in that conversation. So I'm answering your question by saying we get to the essence of what best pedagogy looks like in the classroom by having teachers involved in those conversations and having students involved in those conversations on a much wider level than we are at the moment. What about the the role of data and evidence, um, particularly with um, technological tools that are now being developed with the movement towards formative assessment? Um, there, there is an argument that, you know, the complexity of student learning, we should have far greater insight into that and understanding of that. And that's, that's what perhaps technology and data could bring. Do you have a sense of that? Look, I, I'm no expert in that area, so it's something I'd be hesitant to, to speak long on. I will say that there's growing resistance to uh, commercial technologi- te- technological takeovers in schools, um, that we need to be very careful that we're not outsourcing uh, teacher expertise and decision-making to uh, global technological companies um, that might have their own agenda. Uh, but in terms of, of data and in terms of evidence, I think teacher, teaching is very much an evidence-informed uh, profession. I think we've run into lots of problems with people trying to argue that, in fact, teaching, uh, there is a, a clear evidence base in terms of what people should be doing. Uh, it's almost as though when a pilot walks into a plane and he or she has to follow a particular checklist to start their plane as if a teacher could do the same thing. As I've already indicated, I think it's, it's far more complex than that. So, so let's, let's explore that a bit. I, I think if you look at the, um, some of the McKinsey's work on how world-class systems got there, you know, they, they would say that there is evidence about how you lift um, teaching and learning outcomes. And they'd say that there are, there are differences in schools and systems but, you know, if you have um, students who have very, um, you know, low levels of uh, t- literacy and numeracy um, outcomes, you start here. There are things you can do. All interventions are not the same. Um, should we not have a, you know, we're glad pilots have checklists. We're glad the expertise of others who've flown before are informing pilots. Is it unreasonable to say to teachers, we have a clear view through evidence of pedagogy that works and what doesn't work as effectively, and we should be um, using that evidence. I I completely agree with everything that you've just said, uh, but I think we run into problems when the standards are the driver rather than reinforcing what's happening in the classroom. Uh, I think standards are are useful in many, many respects, but quite often what I'm seeing uh, on a daily basis is many of my colleagues who are slaves to the standards, who won't look outside the standards, who are spending enormous amounts of time preparing evidence to satisfy standards rather than focusing on the needs of their students. Uh, And to come back to the McKinsey report, I think when you look at the top level of their suggestions, they're talking about the importance of uh, collaborative expertise, of networking, of sharing ideas, of building that, that, that basis of expertise within the teaching profession which is what we're talking about as well. Um, so if you talk to politicians, um, they'll say they put billions of dollars extra into Australian education. Um, and this is what the Gonski funding's been all about, more money to schools. But uh, implicit in that is the sense that teaching and learning outcomes will rise. So how do we provide assurance 
that um, that extra investment is going to see improvement in teaching and learning outcomes uh, without, I suppose, politicians and public servants being very prescriptive about the improvements they expect to see. I think that's the key. I think it's not to be prescriptive about uh, what they expect to see. Um, but, but in, in a sense, but why should uh, educators be let off the hook there? I mean, because if more money goes into the health system, there'll be a series of improvements that you expect to see, improved uh, mortality rates, um, imp- you know, earlier discharges from hospital, lower levels of uh, chronic disease in society. These would all th- be things that we were looking for. Um, isn't it reasonable that, that that's a request of the teachers of Australia as well? I think it's very reasonable, but it all depends on the outcomes that we're defining. And if the outcomes are very, very specifically defined as outcomes of uh, specific tests, uh, and increasingly, uh, the more and more that we rely on standardised tests, the more we teach to those tests. So we need to be absolutely certain that the tests are testing what we would like to test. Uh, We're recognising the range of dispositions and competencies that people are going to need into the future. Uh, and when we t- you talk about outcomes, I think what we'd like to see is definition of those outcomes broadening considerably beyond where they currently are. So, Cameron, the, uh, the book is out. Um, you know, there'll be half a dozen out uh, globally. Um, key educators around the world are saying more power, m- more voice uh, to teachers to shaping the direction of education reform. Um, what happens now? Well, we talk about this being a movement and a conversation rather than just a series of books. So what happens now is that we're hoping that we've started a conversation around the importance of giving teachers more voice and the importance of listening to teachers, about ensuring that the privileged few don't speak for the marginalised, and there's some fantastic sections in the book on Indigenous education in Australia, which I commend to you. Uh, When you go to university, lecturers, professors talk about curriculum, uh, sorry, academic freedom, And I think that's a concept that we're losing in schools. It's steadily being eroded. Uh, I like referring to the importance of curriculum disobedience. Uh, Professional ethics and honour as a teaching profession is something that we certainly need to be thinking about. Uh, The medical profession has a very clear sense of ethics. I think we're confused about ours at times. Is it the Aitzel Standards? Is it the Melbourne Declaration? Um, One of the, the lines in the book towards the end that's has aroused some conversation, public debate has been our line that education is a political act and we don't reconcile from that. We think it's too easy for teachers just to put their heads down and get on with their daily work without thinking about the big picture. Uh, We passionately believe that teachers are activists and while the Flip the System movement is a call to resistance, we really hope that it's a positive one based around hope and empowerment and respect, networking, the importance of connecting teachers globally across systems and across countries very much about building a shared professional identity and involving teachers with research at the same time. Well, um, Cameron Patterson, uh, you, you, you're talking revolution here. You're a mild-mannered revolutionary. Uh, thanks for your contribution to the book. Thanks for the Flip the System Challenge and thanks for joining us today on the Every Student podcast. And thank you for listening to this episode of Every Student. Never miss an episode by subscribing on your podcast platform of choice or by heading to our website at education.nsw.gov.au slash every hyphen student 
podcast. Or if you know someone who is a remarkable innovative educator that we could all learn from, you can get in touch with us via Twitter at New South Wales Education, on Facebook, or email every student podcast at det.nsw.edu.au. Thanks again, and I'll catch you next time.